series on hope uh, rising but I just felt like God wanted to give us a little more hope yeah. anybody handle a little more hope amen turn to your neighbor and tell him look like you might need some more hope praise God brother Ralph I didn't see you telling anybody <laughs> All right, praise God. Well, it's all right to have fun in the house of the Lord, amen? We need some joy in the house of the Lord, amen? Praise God. But hope is something that's seriously missing, not just from the world, not just from our nation, but even in the house of God. People go through very difficult things, and somehow through the pressures of life and the seasons of life, we seem to lose the grip of hope. And last week, I challenged you to not let go of hope. Amen. It is the paycheck when you cross the finish line. It, it, you can't just go to the bank and say, well, I, I work at Kroger's and I make $400 and give me my money. That, it doesn't work that way. You've got to take the check in, Right? And the check itself is not the pay, it is only the promise of the pay. And whenever you give them the check, then you receive your reward. And the Bible says, cast not away our confidence or cast not away our hope because it has within it a reward. And so today I want to continue to talk about this hope this morning. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 12, it tells us there, that when hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Amen? When hope is deferred, it makes your heart sick. But when that desire, when that that you have hoped for comes, it becomes a tree, and not just a tree, but a tree of life. It is alive. It produces something. Trees produce fruit. Huh? And it's going to produce something in your life. I want to read for your hearing today Judges chapter 6 and verse number 12 and 13. This is the story of Gideon. And he finds himself in a place of, of hopelessness. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord came and sat under the uh, tree with him, which belonged to uh, Joash. And while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? Have you ever felt that way? God, if you love me, then why has all of this happened to me? And where are all his miracles 
which our fathers told us about. Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. His heart is sick. Healing from a heart disease associated with hope deferred begins with a choice. I'm not implying to you today that healing will come because you choose that you can heal yourself by simply making a decision. But I want to say that healing begins with the decision that you make. And God wants to heal your wounds today. He, he, he doesn't want to hide them under the cloak of denial. He wants to cure your heart. He wants to heal your burden and all of your pain. And right choices allow him to come and do that. And Gideon had made a choice in order to overcome his hopelessness and the result of his heart disease. Israel had become idol worshipers. The nation was idol worshipers. They had fought, given over to false gods. And they not only was worshiping false gods, but they were also worshiping Jehovah. Now, doesn't that make it better? That you make a little room for God. That, that just add all of this other stuff to it. But, but just, just as long as we still have a little room for God, isn't that messed up? But that's how we think today. That's how our nation is. We're, we're full of idol worshipers that wants to call on God when difficult times come. Now, I'm thankful that people least have good enough sense that when trouble comes that they know who can help them. Amen. But whenever 9-11 struck our nation and changed it forever, it, I didn't hear about the Buddha temples being full. I didn't hear about them running to, to, to try to find a Muslim shrine. But I do know the house of God, the kingdom of God was filled to capacity even to the greatest measure since the Great Depression. That tells me that even in the midst of all that is going on and hopelessness and heartsick people that they still know that God really is the only answer. Israel had turned to idol worship and Gideon's family was no exception. The village shrine and the altar of worship of Baal was in his backyard. Baal was considered the god of fertility, the god of the rain and therefore the vegetation, the sun and war. We see that Asher was a goddess associated with passion and, and the sea. And so according to some that she was the wife of El and the mother of Baal. The worship of Baal involved gross immorality. They were cutting their bodies, much like people do today. You wonder where that came from, do you? It isn't of God. Jesus was wounded so you don't have to cut yourself. It's Baal worship. It's a spirit of Baal. That's even in our nation today. 
And you need to quit cutting yourself and turn to the one who has already been wounded and already been cut and he will release your pain and he will give you hope for your future. Amen. This, the worship of Baal involved this gross immorality where they were cutting themselves and even giving child sacrifice. It was a hideous evil. Israel had transferred their trust from Jehovah to false gods. They were worshiping them in order to receive the benefits of what they believed that these false gods would provide. In essence, this is what Israel was declaring. Since you haven't come through for us, Jehovah, we're going to put our trust in Baal. We're going to put our trust in other gods. Since you haven't done what you, you, we thought you were going to do, you haven't provided for us. We're going to worship another god. The first decision that God confronts Gideon with is this decision that involved turning from the idols. The Lord told Gideon to tear down the altars of Baal and to pull down the pole of Asher. And he said, I want to heal you. I want to bring healing not just to you, Gideon, but I want to heal your family. I don't want to just heal your family, but I want to heal the whole nation of Israel. Amen. God said to Gideon, but first you must transfer all of your faith and all of your alliance back on to me. Gideon obeyed and during so doing so, it, it brought him right in the, in the middle of the night. He gets up and he goes and does what God tells him to do. He did it in the middle of the night because of fear of what would happen. He did it in the middle of the night because he was afraid of the reaction of the village. But at least he had enough strength to get up and start doing something. I want to say to you tonight or this morning that even if you have to do it in the middle of the night, get up and do something. Start doing something. If you have to slip around, if you don't have enough courage and enough faith yet, just slip and slide. But my God, don't sit where you are. Get, begin to rise up and do something that will change the trajectory of your life. Amen. Gideon obeyed and he may have not had complete courage but full faith but Gideon had enough to get started. I want to say to you today you might not have enough faith and courage to completely do what God said for you to do but at least get started. Turn to your neighbor tell him get started. Get started. In Gideon's act of obedience the next step in the healing process, we see that he places his hope and trust in God. Anything that we have placed our trust in other than God must be brought under him. And we have been taught to trust a lot of things. Huh? Y'all ain't going to help me today. But we've learned how to trust. We've been taught to trust science. 
and to marvel at science. Oh, how wonderful it is. And it is wonderful. It is great. But I want to tell you, before there ever was a scientist, there was a creator that created everything they're studying. We've been cho- we have been taught to marvel at doctors and how that the doctors can take and science can take and work together and how that we can, and now they're, they're, it seems like there's not much they can't do. Huh? I mean, for goodness sake, they can take a, 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 a valve out of a pig and put it in you. Amen. And, and, and we see all of that and, and, and we marvel and we've been taught until our alliance and our trust comes into a doctor instead of the author and the finisher of our faith. Huh? A bad doctor's report, I'm not denying the facts, but a bad doctor's report will cause somebody that's been in church for years to walk out with their head down and believe that there is no hope. But I want to tell you, after the doctors have done all that they can do, there is one that created your body. Amen. And nobody can speak death over your life. Nobody knows when it's finished but God and him alone. Amen. And in him we put our trust. Thank God for physicians. Thank God for the science world. Thank God for modern technology. But we have to put our alliance not in those things, but in the Lord Jesus Christ and say at the end of the day, it is in him that we trust and we believe. Amen. Any adulterous thing must be torn down. But often, adultery is more subtle than that. Often it is a transference of trust. Since God didn't come through, I'm going to look elsewhere. And we build these elsewhere altars to an unknown God. The altar, elsewhere altar of fear, of unbelief. The elsewhere altar of wounds, rejection, betrayal, and bitterness. We build these elsewhere altars instead of coming to the altar of God. Anything associated with hope deferred can be used to build this elsewhere altar. Amen. This altar you have bowed to must come down. Every fear must come down. Every wall that you've put up to protect your heart, it must come down. Every place where you've decided, even, uh, uh, even in your unconsciousness, that you have decided that I won't trust God for this, but I will trust this, this other elsewhere, it must come down. 
and we must learn to trust him. Every subtle determination, they'll no longer believe. Every emotional thing that has disappointed us and become a memorial in our heart and in our life that we have to choose by faith that we're going to tear this elsewhere altar down. You must do this, not because God is angry with you, but to make way for Jehovah Shalom, the God of wholeness and the God of peace to be manifest in your life. And when we do that, it will lead to the next choice that Gideon had to make. And that was this. In Gideon's story, it is encouraging and almost too good to believe. Have you ever heard something and you thought, that's too good to be true? The Lord instructs Gideon to use the wood from the torn down shrines of Baal to build a fire in which to offer him a sacrifice. Are you with me? Every fear, every wall that you put up to protect your heart must come down. But notice he didn't say burn the the idol altars and then offer a sacrifice. No, he said this. He said, use the wood from the sacrifice. Don't miss this. God was demonstrating to Gideon that he said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do for all of Israel. He said, I won't waste your pain. I won't waste your disillusion. I won't waste your hopelessness. I won't waste your misplaced trust. I want you to take it and build. You may not have nothing left, Gideon, but you have your hurt. You have your pain. You have your disillusion. You have the altars of past gods. But he said, I'll take it as an altar of sacrifice. Come and burn it all. And when you burn it, it'll be a sweet incense because you're returning your trust, your hope, and your confidence in me, and I'll receive it as a sweet-smelling savor in my presence. Oh, somebody give him praise today. God said, yes, I intend to remove them, but in the process, I want to use them as part of your transformation. God said, worship me as you destroy them. Don't let them become a part and let them become a part of your offering to me. Give me your pain. Give me your fear when you trust me enough to worship me in your pain. God says this is amazing worship that when you can praise him, anybody can praise him when everything is going good. But he said, Gideon, if you can trust me to praise me in your pain, if you can trust to praise me with questions in your heart, then I will know that you really love me. I want to do this for you. This 
is amazing worship. You see, whenever I'm looking for somebody to worship with me, I don't go looking for someone that's got a silver spoon in their mouth. I look for somebody that's been to hell and back. I look for somebody that's been through the fiery trials of Gideon that have questions in their heart and say, God, why has this happened? What's going on? But in the middle of it all, they'll lift one hand without wrath and the other without doubt and say, though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. He is worthy of my praise. He is worthy of my worship. And I'm not going to waste my pain. I'm going to make it as an offering unto the Lord. And as we do, God said, I'm going to accept it and cause your destruction to begin to light a fire, a new fire in your life. Imagine that. God using your wounds and all of the debilitating results of your life to start a fresh fire in you. Too good to be true? No. He wants to use everything. Huh? Don't go through what you went through and allow it to become waste. He wants to use every wound, every mistake, every failure, every loss. He wants to use it to transform you in worship. Watch this. Romans 12 and 21 tells us, that God overcomes evil with good and makes even the wrath of men praise him. Hallelujah. What a promise. He is not only bigger than your wounds and your loss and your fear and your unbelief, but he is also bigger than the mistakes and the failures that you have made in your life. The Bible is filled full of people who have made various serious errors in their life, but God was able to redeem them and heal them. Because he is merciful and able to deliver them from their pain by others, by even those that have been self-afflicted wounds. Jesus, look, look at this. Jesus accepted the title of son of David, even though it made him the son of an adulterer and a murderer. Adam made, was, he, he made some grave mistakes in his life and yet it resulted in his life that he was called the friend of God. The disciples abandoned God or Jesus in his greatest hour of need and a few days later they became the leaders of the New Testament church. Peter denies the Lord and with a curse. And yet a few days later, he is used to heal a crippled man and preaches a message that causes 3,000 people to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and come into the kingdom. Amen. I want to tell you today that God uses the brokenness. He uses the misfits. He uses the things of our life that cause hopelessness to come to us. But if we'll only cast it upon him, it will bring it to the altar and make it as a act of worship unto God. It will cause a brand new fire to be lit on the inside of us that said, even though I have failed, even though I have hurt, even though I 
I don't have answers. I know that greater is he that is in me than all of the world that has come against me. People sometimes fear, refer to their difficult times as winter seasons. Have you ever heard that? Winter seasons. There's a beautiful picture associated with the winter season of a man by the name of Ezekiel. In chapter 47, the prophet Ezekiel was given this vision of a river of God. In this vision of the river, it produces life and produces healing everywhere that it goes. Everything that it touches benefits from this river because it's alive and it's healing in it. Interestingly, when I look up this word river here, it means to a it means a stream in the hebrew it, the word river means a stream and especially a winter torrent now i'm just an old country boy so i had to look up what torrent meant i know all of you knew but it means a rushing violent abundant unceasing stream. Sometimes the rivers are dry during time, certain times of our life. They fill up, however, when there is rain. And in and, and this case, we see that it was the spring fall, fall that caused the snow and the ice from the mountains to become, become together into a stream and eventually became a river. Through Ezekiel's winter river began as a trickle in verse number one. And eventually it became this mighty, rushing, violent, abundant, unceasing stream. Glory to God. Verse one, it was a trickle. But verse five, it was an unceasing stream. And I'm saying today that God is going to use everything that has been cold. You may have been in the most difficult winter season of your life, but God does not even waste the winter season for the things that have been frozen. He is going to use. Your life may feel like a, a glacier, but I'm telling you, if you got a glacier, there's a good news because the fall of the Spirit will come. And whenever he wants, warms up the glacier it's going to melt and it will be used to form a river of abundance in your life amen and so today if your life feels like an icicle if there's snow everywhere in your life if it may look like a glacier but I'm telling you that the power of God will melt it down in his presence and he will use it as a fresh river that will bring life unto you it will bring hope to you It'll bring his presence to you. And you will not be something that speaks death, but will speak life into you. Glory to God. As your season changes, God's healing will likely begin as a mere trickle. But have confidence today that it is God that begins a work is going to finish the work. 
and the snow and the ice of your spiritual winter are going to be a, become a deep flow of the Spirit of God that's going to change the season that you're in. Amen. For those who are confused and disillusioned, your season is changing. For the heart that grieves with pain and loss, your season is changing. For the faithful warrior and soldier whose stream bed is dry, I'm telling you, your season is changing. For those who have lost their first love and connection of hope to him, your season is changing. For the Gideons of the world who are heart sick and hope deferred, I've come this morning to tell you that your season is changing. The warm of the spring is going to do its work and the summer is going to come. I thank God that winter doesn't last forever. Hallelujah. I tell you today, I heard the Spirit of the Lord yesterday as I was praying. He said, just as sure as this season is shifted in the natural. And he said, even though it is cold today, this cold cannot stay here because you see, the season has changed. I want to tell you today that you may have some cold days in your life, but the season is changed. The kingdom of God is come unto you. His power and his anointing, there's a fresh wind that's coming, praise God, upon your life. And when it comes, it doesn't matter what the enemy has done or said or done to you. It is going to shift and everything that's worked against you will begin to work for you in the name of Jesus. The river of healing will flow to you and you're going to drink of its healing power. And hope will be deferred no longer. Just as it did for Gideon's despair will yield to the command of wholeness in your life. There really is a song left in you. I said there really is a song left in you. Song of Solomon is an interesting book. I don't know why anybody would want to watch a soap opera when you can read the Song of Solomon. Chapter 2 and verse 10, he's in a winter season. And in this winter season, he says... In verse 10, my beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. And the flowers have already appeared in the land. And the time has arrived for the pruning of the vines. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land again. The fig tree has ripened its figs and the vines, the blossom, have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Hallelujah. This book of Solomon is a love story between two young lovers that can't seemingly get to one another. Have you ever been in love and can't get together 
The Bible says on one occasion, she, he, he, it speaks of the woman that says that he, he is like a, 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 a sheep or a ram that is going up over the mountains, leaping upon the mountains. She catches a glimpse of him. Another time the writer says of him that he retched through the lattice work under her. But they're in a winter season. They can see their love, but they can't reach their love. They're in this place of a winter season, but the winter season has to come to an end. And one season stops and another begins. And you have to know the season which you're in. Because if you don't know which season you're in, you can look awful foolish. Huh? I mean, I, I, I see people in the middle of winter got shorts and a short sleeves on. They looking weird. Amen. But it would also be crazy to have 90 degree weather and people have long breeches on and long sleeve shirt and a trench coat and a top hat. Huh? Because they don't know what season they're in. You have to question, is something challenged in their mind? Because they, they don't know what season they're in. But the Bible says that we have to know the times and the seasons that we're in. Because if you're not careful, the season can shift and change and you're living in another season. The Bible tells me this, that David nearly got killed in one doing in one season of his life what made him successful, but in another season of his life, it nearly got him killed. If it weren't for his brothers, he would have died on the battlefield doing what brought him success in another season. But I want to tell you that we've got to know the times and the seasons that we're in. And we see that here in the Song of Solomon, it shows us this beautiful picture of these lovers that are in love, but they're in the winter season of their life. You see, I want to tell you that, that now the spring begins to come. And he says, lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Because in where they are writing this, they did not have snow, but they had rainy seasons. And in the winter, it's still that way. In Africa and in, in, in the middle west, in the eastern part, they, they don't have all of these types of things. They have rainy seasons. But now he is speaking and he said the rain is over and gone and he begins to say the trees are blooming the fig trees are ripening and he begins to declare something he says that caught my spirit he said the voice of the turtle dove how do you know when your season is changed when you start hearing the voice of the turtle dove again how many know in the winter season of your life, like Gideon, Gideon said, where are you, God? I've heard about everything that, that you did for our forefathers, but I'm not hearing you. 
Where are you, God? Where are the miracles? Where are the signs and the wonders? Where, what did you do, God? You brought us out of Egypt's bondage to bring us into another bondage. Where are you? Amen. But I want to tell you that in the season of your life, when you begin to hear the voice of the turtle dove, you know that your season in the spirit has begun to change. Why? Because the turtle dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when you begin to hear the spirit again, it doesn't matter how cold it is. It doesn't matter how much and how thick the ice is. It doesn't matter how much it is snowed upon your life. When you begin to hear the voice of the turtle dove, when you begin to hear the moving of the spirit, you know that the shift is on and things are about to change in your life. Amen. How do I know? Because that's the way it has always been since the beginning. In the beginning, the whole Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and while he was hovering over the waters a change came upon the universe amen he landed on Noah's boat and when he came back to Noah he brought him an olive branch which represented peace he said I know you've been in a storm Noah I know that you've been in a mess and it looked like everything was good but I want you to know you can have peace and confidence that God is going to take care of you amen he fluttered over to Samson and he lit upon Samson and he slew a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. He flew over and touched David and when his spirit of the Lord came upon David he killed a lion and a bear and he declared the same anointing that came on me that day is going to take this Philistine out today. Glory to God. You see he flew past the prophets. He flew past the priests. He came upon the New Testament church and he lit upon Jesus in the form of a dove and said this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased he fluttered into the New Testament church that had just been born and he said I know you've had some trouble building my church but I've come today to tell you that season is over and the time has changed and my anointing and my power are going to do a new thing in the earth When you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, your winter is over and a new season of life and hope has come upon you. If you can believe it for yourself, give him some kind of praise today. Psalms 51, David had himself in a mess. Whenever he prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me and do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold your generous spirit. King David had lost his love connection with God, which resulted in a winter season of his life. I'm not telling you because you go through a winter season that you have sinned. I'm telling you that this is what brought David into this season. All of us have seasons. Life is ebbs and flows. Huh? 
the message Bible says it like this. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life and bring me back from gray exile and put fresh wind in my sails. David said, I know I'm in a winter season, God. But this is my prayer to you. Give me a fresh start. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Bring me out of this gray exile and put a fresh wind in my sail. Can anybody else receive that today? You may not feel like you're anything. You may not feel like you have anything left to give to God. But that's the reason why he accepts your pain and your hurt and your hopelessness as an offering to him. God is ready to just give each of us a fresh start today, a Genesis week. Out of our exile, a fresh wind to blow upon our lives. But we've got to ask him for it. We've got to turn our hearts to him. We can't allow the hopelessness to cause us to be overwhelmed to where we don't believe him. But he has a fresh wind. He has a fresh anointing. He has a fresh fire for each and every one of us here today. But we have to turn our heart toward him and ask him for it. And if we'll ask him, he is faithful and just to answer our prayers. After Gideon tore down the altars of Baal and demonstrating the rejection of the idols and the new trust in God, his name was changed. Amen. His name changed from Gideon to Jerubbabel. Huh? Watch this. In the first, first part of this story, he's hiding out behind the wine press, scared of his enemy. And by chapter 7, because he has returned his heart back toward God, he don't just have a, a new life. He doesn't just have new perspective. But God said, Gideon's not going to get it for you, boy. I'm going to call you Jerubbabel because you are a Baal conqueror. Hallelujah. I want to tell you somebody today that the enemy that you're facing, that God isn't just going to help you to deal with it or cope with it or just try to give, live above it. But he's put an anointing upon you to conquer that thing, to destroy that thing and say this enemy of fear, this enemy of rejection, this enemy of hurt, this enemy of hopelessness, I'm not just going to deal with it. I'm going to be known as one that conquers it and overcomes it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. What a turnaround. So what a turnaround. Let me tell you, that can be every one of our stories here today. Overcoming every fear, overcoming every hurt and every anxiety. A well-known verse, I want to give you this this morning. You in a hurry? well-known verse in Romans summarizes this 
whole story, I believe, of hurt and pain and destruction that comes into our life. Romans 8 and 28, do you know it? And we know that God causes all things. Can somebody say all things? To work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. When, I, when you study this scripture out, it is, this verse is so packful and so great. It packs such a punch that most people don't even realize what he is saying. This phrase, work together, in the Greek word here is synergio, where we get our word synergy. Synergism is a word that works together for two or more drugs or two or more muscles to produce an effect greater than the sum of their individual ability. In choosing this word, God has promised us that he will take all the bad, all the pain, and every attempt of the enemy to destroy us and our faith, all things, and then mix himself into it, infusing these evils with his miraculous power. He said, I'm going to synergize them. And what he's saying is this, and the good in me is going to overpower the bad in them. Every disappointment plus loss plus pain plus defeat is going to metamorphose into plus God. And when it occurs, amen, the results are going to be it is no more hopelessness, no more worry, no more frustration. But the power of God is greater than all of your fear. The power of God is greater than all of your anxiety. Whenever God gets into your pain, he overwhelms the pain. When God gets into your trouble and your difficulty, your sickness, your affliction, he, whenever he is injected into that, he takes it and he causes the bad to work for your good. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, we serve a bad God. I said he's bad. He, he can walk into situations that seem insurmountable. But when you put him into it, that's the reason why you can't, put, you can't look at yourself and say this situation is hopeless. You can't live in hopelessness any longer because the only reason that it's hopeless is because you forgot to add God to your equation. You say, Pastor, you don't know how bad I've got it. I probably don't, but I know how good our God is. And if you just infuse him into your situation, he's about to turn your mourning into dancing. He's going to turn your sorrow into joy. He's going to turn your hopelessness into a city and a refuge of hope. Let me try it like this because some of you ain't getting it. Have you ever made homemade biscuits? And 
trying to get, I don't know if I should say that. I'm going to. I'm trying to get my son hooked up with an Amish girl. So he won't starve to death. Just a joke, just a joke. But I'm afraid a couple generations past us, we ain't going to get anything to eat. Renee and I contemplated building a house, and whenever we, the contractors came in and talked to us about it, and they said, right here's the kitchen and all that, I said, hold up, hold up. I said, just make that living room or that kitchen a big den. And I said, right over there on the side by the driveway, I said, just put in a window right there, a sliding window. He said, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, I said, that's how we eat. I said, they can just deliver it right there and be home-cooked food. Uh, I thought it was funny. But I don't know how I got there. Oh, I was talking about homemade biscuits. You know, I'm not, I'm not the chef either. I, I'm not saying all of that. But, but have you ever tasted what goes into biscuits? I mean, just get you a glob of flour and see how that goes for you. Or get you some baking powder. You don't need to put a whole lot. Just get you a teaspoon and go ahead and swallow that. Amen. And, and, and if that goes good for you, go ahead and get you another spoon of shortening. <laughs> Swallow that glob. You know what I found out? That none of the ingredients that goes into biscuits taste good by themselves. Not a one of them. Huh? But man, when you put them together and you mix them together, I ain't getting no help in here today. And you put them in the oven, 350 degrees, for a few minutes. Huh? And you can't just cram them up in there all one right beside another. Give them some space to grow. And then get you some butter. Huh? Mmm, Lord. And then get you some real syrup. Not this junk you get in the store. Get you some real syrup. Mix up in that butter. Put it on them biscuits. It ain't heaven, but it'll get you close. Huh? Come on, somebody. But none of it tastes good by itself. But when it's mixed together, it transforms into something wonderful. Much of our life is tasteless. Much of our life is bad. If we only look at it and say, look at this. I tell people all the time, life is not a snapshot. It's a motion picture. And if you get stuck looking at the picture, you're going to miss your life. And life, there is bad. There is the tasteless. There is the ingredients that's terrible by their self. But God brings it all together. And whenever he's injected in it, he brings hope and he brings something that's beautiful out of it. Amen. Pregnant with hope. It's somewhat like being pregnant. There's very few things, if any, of the changes that occur when a woman is 
pregnant that could be described as good. But I'd at least get a woman to amen. Swollen ankles. Huh? Restless nights. Amen. I know that women have to go through a lot, but God helped the man in that last trimester. <laughs> I mean, they're up four o'clock in the morning cleaning the house and doing all of this stuff. <laughs> but there ain't much that whenever a woman is pregnant that can be described as good or beautiful. But what is growing on the inside is. It is something glorious. It is something beautiful. It is a new life. And I believe that hope deferred is being broken off of you today. While you're sitting here these last three weeks and while you're sitting here today hearing this word from heaven, that hope is being broken, hopelessness is being broken off of you. And you are being impregnated with hope again. Right, right, God. God. And God is planning His word word on her so that you are being impregnated with hope. Amen. A mother, the instant that she knows that she is with child, every moment that she lives now becomes something that is is anticipating the delivery of what is on the inside of her. After a time, her pregnancy means that she cannot take a step, that she cannot make a move, that she cannot do anything that is disassociated with the coming of her child. In America, we're taught to ignore the obvious fact that a woman is with child. That's not a life. But in France, it's much different. In France, if a man is introduced to a woman who is an expectant mother... It is the highest and the most polite thing to do is to congratulate her. And this is what they say in France when they meet a woman who is with child. This is the highest compliment. They say this, I congratulate you on your hope. I congratulate you on your hope because it isn't here yet but it's coming huh you are pregnant with hope you're pregnant with something that's fresh and new I believe by God's grace and his anointing this morning that hope deferred is being broke off of you and God is planting his word in your heart to be pregnant now with hope and with purpose. Perhaps you're in your first trimester and maybe you can feel a little, but you're not feeling that fruit of it yet. You're not feeling that fruit of conception. 
But I want to tell you, hold on to hope. Hold on to his word. Hold on to the promise of God. Because just as sure as he has given you the word, he is faithful to bring that word to pass. So today, I want to congratulate you on your hope. I want to congratulate you on your hope. Stand with me today. I don't know who I've come to preach to, but I've come to preach to somebody. I've come today to press back the darkness and the spirit of depression. I've come to speak life to you today in the authority of the Holy Spirit. I've come to declare and decree the word of the Lord and not what your circumstances said to you, but what the word of God has declared over your life. Hallelujah. So Father, today I thank you that in this atmosphere today, we declare that hope is risen. We declare today that every season of winter is being broken off and the heat of your spirit and the flame of your fire and the fresh sail, God of your wind, is going to breathe upon us in this place today. And as we leave, we're leaving today with fresh hope. As we leave today, we're leaving as mighty men and women of valor. As we leave today, we are leaving impregnated with your word that produces a hope that will bring us a bright future. So Father, in the name of Jesus, whatever has held your people back, Whatever season of winter, I declare that season is that winter season is over in your people and in this church and in this region. And we take authority today over every mindset that suggests negatively or differently. And we speak life to you now in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah.